Welcome to First Eight Copites, a podcast for Delaware's Liverpool supporters and their friends. Thanks for joining us on First Day Copites. It's episode two of our fourth season. I'm Paul, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Daz, who's in Baltimore, Hytham, who is in Chicago with Frida on the wall, which we may talk about more, and Justin, who is in New York. Um, great to see you all. And if you're listening, it's still great to see you all. Um, we're going to do a new innovation. We're going to do three parts to our show this week, because that seems to be in vogue, we've discovered. Um, and in part one, we're going to talk about some expectations around uh, this season. And we'll start with um, an actual listener question. Uh, and the, the question is, how do, we, how, do we, how do we think we're going to line up this season? And clearly, we're not going to play the same 11 players every day. But uh, I think part of the question is kind of about formations, about how we might use certain players. So I thought what we would do is is kind of work through kind of from sort of from back to front how we think that the, the team will line up mainly for this season. Uh, we'll do a lot more on expectations for the season in the, in the episodes we do before the season actually starts. But I thought we'll, we'll start with kind of some discussion of players. And uh, I'm going to go to Justin first. Um and start with the defense. Uh, Joe Gomez, it was announced this week, has a brand new contract. I think it takes him to 2027, which feels like, uh, I don't know, a lifetime away. Um, um, do you think that makes any difference to the way we, we, we set about the season? Or do you think we're going to go with um, a kind of a Matip, uh, Canate rotation, um, um, and assuming that everyone else stays where they are? I think he's going to play a bunch at both right back and center back. Um, there's a lot of games very quickly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think you're going to see is Van Dyke is going to be rotated a bit more regularly this season. Um, so I think you're going to end up seeing kind of a, there will be two of them where the left side of center backs, there's going to be two of them where the right side of center backs. And like, that's what you'll see. Um, I guess the question is going to be, is Joe Gomez going to be a left-sided center back, um, you know, going forward and that's where he's going to get his minutes if he's playing in the center back pairing. I also do think though, he's going to play a bunch of right back because even though Calvin Ramsey has been brought in, he's 18 years old and he needs to learn the system. And also there's a huge jump between playing for, you know, a team in the Scottish division, Scottish Premier League to the, the English Premier League, right? It's like the Scottish league is what probably about the same quality as lower level championship, upper level league one. So that's going to, it's going to be a huge adjustment, especially for an 18 year old. I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Ramsey much in the first six months he's here, right? I, I he's um, he's young, so I don't think he's going to play a ton. But I think that basically you're going to see, um, you know, Gomez is going to get games at center back, and he's going to get games at right back. Uh, I think the question at center back is just who, you know, what are the different pairings that we feel confident playing? Because I kind of feel like your first choice pairing to me is probably Kanate Van Dyke. Um, and, you know, with, with Matip playing a bunch. But I, for me, the real question is going to be, is it always going to be one of Konate and Van Dyke in the lineup because of the aerial dominance and just overall fact that Konate looks like a mini Van Dyke at this point? So I think that's, I think that's where you're – I think he's going to play a whole bunch of center back. Um, I think he's going to play a whole bunch of right back. Obviously, the two fullbacks, the first choices are very much going to pick themselves, but I just do think that 
we should see a decent amount of rotation, particularly on the left too, because Robertson had to play high intensity games for Scotland right after the season ended because of World Cup qualifiers. Yeah. So I would like to see Costas Simikas get be used less um, less sparingly than he was down the stretch of last season because he is a very good footballer and he, he's you know I, I think I think there's just a lot of minutes he could play that are that are that would be really helpful and useful for us. Yeah, yeah. I think one important factor, and you, I think you're right to point out the number of games that are because of the World Cup and what it is, but but what do we got for sure? Uh, Matip, um, Simikas, and Robertson will have essentially a month, I don't say a month off, but certainly a month where they're not going to be playing kind of games uh, once or twice a week, depending on what team they play for. So that may also play into the, the selection. Um, Hayden, we'll go to you next. And we can, we can all, you know, if you've got a perspective on one part of the team, we'll, we'll do that in the roundup. But I want to just touch on the midfield. Um, and it feels like there's been a lot of, uh, cater chat in, in, in certain circles um, this last, especially the last couple of weeks. Um, kind of story is that Liverpool are trying to offer him a new contract. Same is certainly not true of uh, Oxley Chamberlain. Um, people have sort of, I, I was astonished to see somebody said he'd only made 19 starts last season. I wish I'd gone and checked that. But that, that so I, I'm a big fan of his. I that doesn't sound like a loss and does perhaps leave me with more questions about the midfield than I might have had before reading that stat. What 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 are your thoughts about kind of where we are and and you know it's always easy to say we need another one but um what what what's your thoughts about how the midfield is like to shake out and uh what what's what, what's some of the kind of go-to options you think that uh, Klopp and Linders will 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 go with. Yeah. So I was in, 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 in that group of people who were like, oh, we need, you know, people in the midfield. Um, but, you know, the more I think about it, we, we have options. You know, I think basically your starters, for the most part, will be Hendo, uh, Fabinho, and uh, Thiago, right? Uh, and depending on the system, too, because, you know, I think the systems might change a little bit. Not all the time, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, a few times here and there just because of the introduction of uh, a number, not a proper number nine now. Um, so, you know, you guys have talked about playing a 4 2 3 1. Um, so, just depending, you know, we might play with only two midfielders. Um, but uh, go into what you were uh, referring to when it comes to Keita, you know, his. I mean, to me, Keita for the past few years, although, you know, he's, he's contributed a lot, but I still look at him as um, a player coming off the bench. You know, that's, I think that's, you know, um, that's at least what I'm used to, uh, to be honest. And, and I know uh, the consistency is not there. I mean, to me, when it comes to Keita, uh, the, the glass is, is is half full. It's not half empty; it's half full. Um, you know, obviously, he can he can bring a whole lot more. Um, now, about offering him to other teams and and all of that stuff, I'm, I'm not sure about that. You know, I, w- I would have uh, imagined that it would be um, Ox actually, not not Keita. Yeah. Um, but you know, if it's true, then 
it's probably just because of the value because I, I can see teams paying more for Keita than Ox. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, just from the perspective of options, you know, you know, if Ox stays, I, I actually see him staying, not going because he's in Thailand at this point. Yeah. So that just tells me that, you know, he's not going anywhere. Like a lot of the players nowadays that are not um, uh, going to be part of the rosters next season for, for other teams that they're not even joining um, the preseason uh, camps or, or, you know, the games or whatever. Uh, you know, Ronaldo, for example. He's got um, family emergency, doesn't he? Uh, family just, emergency? Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, uh, PC term for it, I guess. I'm sure we'll get to that in the next um, segment. But. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I think he's going to stay. Um, he might be gone in, 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 in the spring uh, or January, come January or whatever, but I think he's going to stay at least for until January. Uh, but yeah, you know, and, and Harvey's there, um, and, and um, Carvalho, I think he can play uh, in the middle too. Yeah. Um, so I think I think basically we have enough options um, now. How are they going to pan out? Uh, Milner still around, um, you know. Um, so I I just you know from from a midfield perspective, although you know other than Carvalho who plays I know he plays as a forward most of the time but I think he can play in the middle too so I'm not you know worried or, or think we're lacking there uh, by any means um feels like Curtis Jones is a forgotten man oh yeah Curtis sorry Kojo Only about sorry. Hyphen. just proved it can I jump in on the on the, the midfield thing is I think it's it's got something to for me at least it's got to do with like the age profile. We've we seem to be like on the upper end of the twenties and then like on the lower end of the twenties. And I and I'm I'm kind of in Hytham's camp. I think that we're fairly well stocked, but I think that most of the people that are clamoring for someone are probably talking. Uh, and I know we were linked with Marco Asensio, which I, I don't think is a terrible shout. I know that he's in terms of miles in the clock, he doesn't have a lot for for Real. And he checks a couple of different boxes too. He can play on the right-hand side of that midfield. He can probably play across the midfield. I'm pretty sure they've played him in a six role before as well. And but I'd, I'd, I'd feel look, I, I don't think that we need to go herring off it. And I, I don't see it as 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 an emergency situation. I just for me, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable if we had someone that has more major league experience, whether in this country or some other. That, that fits the profile and that is kind of like a, a plug and play that might also be okay with being a, a, a an irregular starter to, to, to put it lightly. I know all of those things, that's a, that's a ton of different boxes to try and to yeah. try and check to, and, and then still find someone of quality that doesn't back themselves to say, I want that role. Uh, and also within the, 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 I guess the, the cost, the cost bracket too, because we're not going to, shit out 60 million on someone that might might only get 15 20 starts across all competitions throughout the season so uh, midfield i think is is our least concern but also our biggest concern because there's a lot of unknowns harvey came back he showed flashes uh, i'm not sure what klopp knows to what what to do with Cavalio yet in his words he's, he says he's seen him and he can play him in a bunch of different spots i think he said he basically said if we get him on the pies and the stakes we might be able to play him as a false nine eventually too but he might be a little slim for, 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 for that role as just yet. So, look, I think that the, the future is bright because it's literally that we're, we're planning for the future. Cavoy is, what, 19? Yeah. Harvey's 20. Harvey's uh, um, also 19. Yeah. I think he turns 20 this year. 
Uh, Curtis is 21. Uh, we have a, an, inc- an amazingly young and uh, midfield potential midfield with a very high ceiling. And but I think that there's there's like there's a little bit of a gap between someone that we but someone that might be able to come in and just fill that role in a more mature. I guess I hate to say mature fashion, but a, the lack of a better way of putting it, someone that can kind of provide that stopgap. And I think that when when a lot of people are like we need more midfielders than just like spouting it. I, I, I might not, I should, maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I get the sense that's what they're looking for is like a, a little bit more of quote unquote proven quality, whatever that looks like for, for, for people. I can tell you what it looks like. He's a midfielder who's 19 and plays for a Borussia Dortmund. Do you think though that, that I, we talked about uh, Belling obviously last week. Do you think that will really satisfy the, the how long do you think it will satisfy the people who are on twitter saying we need another one we need another midfielder or midfielder oh, you'll never satisfy them right, it's, right, it's like right, it's like yeah. the shiny toy concept but yeah. the whole thing is bellingham is the type of player who i think we should actually take mm-hmm. the opportunity to sign because he's going to be fantastic for a long time but i don't think that you go out and just sign a midfielder just for the sake of signing a midfielder right that's not how we operate so if we're going to sign someone it's going to be it's going to need to be someone that Klopp is going to want to sit there and say I would actually play him over Jordan Henderson in this spot, right? Because, you know, Henderson is 32. The legs are starting to go. Tiago's 31. He could probably navigate diminished athleticism better than Henderson because his game relies on a lot less of it. Fabinho is 28, right? Henderson and Fabinho as your pair of sixes, that can work, right? Tiago and Keita playing the left-sided, more possession, deeper midfield role, that also works. It then opens up the right-sided role. And it's as of right now, it feels like it's Harvey Elliott. Curtis Jones, I think, actually probably could. Curtis Jones actually is very, very difficult to dispossess. And I actually think that that's a really good thing for the left-sided role. He just needs to learn when to pass. Um, but it's going to come down to, to who is or your link. Yeah. yeah, or not to shoot. Who's, who's going to be your link player to the attack? Because that's what that right-sided midfield role does more than anything. And I think that's the spot we're bringing in a player of just oozing natural ability who you'll then as time goes on drop deeper and deeper into your midfield into the engine room that's the that's the need right that's that's the most glaring need you'd see in the midfield now i i probably wouldn't play carvalho in the midfield i think he's a forward and i think that there's a really good article that i read or just thoughts that i've read from uh, sam mcguire where effectively carvalho's goal return for a teenager is like one in three yeah you don't want to take that natural goal scoring instinct and tamp it down by just keep shoving it further and further back into the midfield. That said, we did that with Ginny Wijnaldum and he was pretty damn good. So maybe something like that does happen, but it feels like Carvalho really could just be a forward who might just explode very quickly. But I think that we were discussed this, I think last week, Paul, with the potential. And I think this speaks to the question, the original question Mm -hmm. too, is like what, can we could could you potentially see a shift in uh, a, a stated shift in formation? Because like I, I was listening to might have been the rap and they're talking about um, it was the we- old West Ham coach. He's like, you can put any system you want down on paper, but it depends on the personnel that are playing it. Yeah, and, that, cool. and so the natural inclinations will will come to the fore. Uh, like you can coach people into playing positions, and we see, like Genie is a perfect example. Navi Kate is a perfect example, but uh, I. I, I I actually wouldn't surprise me if Klopp doesn't try and shake things up a little bit because Justin, to your point, those two sixes, if you have Nabi and, and uh, not Nabi, if you have Fabinho and Hendo standing next to each other back there, 
that's that's a, that's a heck of a wall in front of those 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 back two because the that and that frees up Robo and 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 Trent to do what they do best. Yeah. yeah, it just means that you need to solve the creativity from midfield problem in another way because I wouldn't exactly class Henderson when he's playing the six as highly creative, and I don't think I'd class Fabinho as highly creative, right? So you need it, – it's like, you know, if, if we do that, teams will try to shut down the, you know, our approach play from fullbacks, and it's basically, okay, there's another guy – there's another body there who's, you know, playing as a 10. How is he going to create? And I think that's – I mean, it, there's all sorts of different problems you can solve, but you bring up another good point, which is formations are, they're just physically where people stand. You can think about a 4-2-3-1. You have Jurgen Klopp's 4-2-3-1 at Dortmund. Rafa Benitez's 4-2-3-1 at Liverpool. They're nothing alike, mm-hmm. right? Philosophy also plays a part there, and you can do whatever you'd like with a formation, but in the end, a playing philosophy might be, it, it is more important than how you line your players up. But Klopp's also big yeah. in letting guys figure it out on the pitch. He's like, this, uh, I have my Teutonic precision, but I also will give you guys room to be able to navigate, like in pitch situations. Whereas Benitez was, 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 was formation tactics at, at all costs. Yeah, I don't know how much freedom he he gives people. Um, I think there's so many strands here. So just let me try and kind of weave it back. You threw in Asensio. I think um, the Alpha wrapped a really good show on Asensio, which basically he's unlikely to come to us unless he uh, we, we sell Chamberlain because that's the hole he would fit. He isn't that prolific. Carvalho, unlike Carvalho, uh, you will notice in our agenda, I have him in the attack because uh, like Silva, it would appear, Marco Silva, who clearly, you know, we're not going to rate as one of the greatest coaches ever. Well, maybe, maybe you know, We've got reason to like him, um, but he played multiple variations on a four-two-three-one and four-three-three with Carvalho in one of the more forward positions. Uh, and I mentioned this last week. I mean, he he seemed to make that team tick, uh, and, and which which I think, you know, to Justin's point, would mitigate against him necessarily being a midfielder in, in, in our formation. Um, but I think the other, the other thing is, I think the Hendo and Fabinho in a six. Depends on who we're playing, right? If we're playing a top, I don't know, say top six team, maybe it's a top three team. I don't know whatever it is anymore. Then I, I think their opportunity to be kind of creative from those positions is less than when they're playing, you know, kind of an average team, you know, a Man United. Manchester United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Fabinho and Hendo can be creative from those positions because there's lots of opportunities. Uh, you know, witness Hendo's pass for Salah's fifth goal at Old Trafford, which which I'm never ever going to forget. Um, um, so, so I think some of it's about the teams they're playing as well, uh, about like how you'll set up the midfield and how effective people can be in the different roles. Final theme, which we haven't really we mentioned, Elliot, um, Sean Rogers of the Anfield Rap was on a show last week, and only usually only does the aftermatch. He was talking about his belief is that Elliot is is going to carve out that right side of midfield role for himself this season, um, which, which I found fascinating because probably about a year ago, he was not convinced that Elliot was going to make it as, you know, a Liverpool player. He thought he'd have a very good Premier League career, um, but now it seems to have reached a point where he thinks that Elliot is the guy, and that's why Henderson will play more six this year than uh, than playing wide, wide right uh, injuries, obviously, permitting. 
So there's a lot of stuff there. Um, I'm, I'm really not sure who I'm up to, but uh, um, them. <laughs> Wrapping all that together, <laughs> yeah. if you're picking the first three, first midfield for the first game of the season, where are we at? Thiago, Fabinho, and Elliot. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. Anyone want to offer an alternative? Yeah. Jordan Henderson's probably going to (laughs) play. I don't think people are used to the amount of Henderson, Thiago, and Fabinho they're still going to see. Yeah. I think that that's still going to be our big game starting midfield until – uh, barring injury or a massive, massive, massive loss of form. Like, I think Henderson has to lose more form than he did in the first half last season. Yeah. And I think some of it will come down to preseason, actually, as well. Um, any any advances on that, Daz? Uh, uh, I'm kind of in, in, in the Justin camp there. One thing that's curious about that is, like, Nabi Keita always seems to be on the outside. It's interesting because there's no... Nobby curious people. They're either a nobby file or a nobby or uh, nobby phobe. Yep. There's like there's no nobby. So I, I I'm, I'm I'll just go. I'm, I'm with I'm, I'm with Justin. I think that probably Kater's first guy off the bench, and then you'll probably see Elliot depending on what his preseason. To your point, what his preseason form is uh, next off the bench. And I'm sure we'll say this 500 times a season, but there's also five subs which will probably play into how they set the team up. Um, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. There, there is one thing also on the, the Nabby file thing that, Dar- that uh, Daz brings up, which is it seems like Henderson and Keita are often like pit against each other yeah. by a certain element of the Twitterati. And uh, the two of them actually tend to play well together, which is the part that like, I feel like people miss. It's like they're ba- they naturally balance each other well. Like they've been, they were a starting midfield in a bunch of the games where we played really, really well. Um, so I, I think that there's, you know, I think there's going to be needs and opportunities for all of them. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and uh, by the way, I, I don't think it's, uh, I think the, the conversation is less about like who got it right and more about what are the considerations that you would take into that game. And to your point, full them away, probably isn't the most testing game we're going to have in the first 10. Uh, so therefore, you know, the midfield pick that day might not be necessarily the number one midfield that you'd pick against Chelsea or, or, or Man City. Um, we're going to, let's move to the attack and include Carvalho in that conversation. And uh, I'll, I'll start, Daz, you can start with this. Um, there's Darwin Nunez, as I'm trying to get his pronunciation right. Uh, obviously, we've added Carvalho. We've got Luis D- Luis Diaz with a preseason. Um, we, I, I don't know what, what where we are with Firmino, and obviously there's Salah uh, uh, to, to consider uh, uh, along with them. Oh, Diogo Jota, I think that's who we forgot last week, right? Um, what are you, what are your thoughts about where we're going to go with that? And I'm sure some of it's down to formation, like we play four two three one versus four three three. But um, what are your thoughts? I'll I'll start by answering the the question about who my starting midfield would be for the Fulham game. I'm starting starting attack line, and it'll be Luis Diaz on the left, uh, Bobby Firmino down the middle, and uh, Mo Salah down the right. Nunez to come off the bench, the first sub, and depending how well it's going, 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Carvalho carve out a couple of minutes, again, depending on how well it goes, uh, and probably down the, the left-hand side for Diaz, just to see how he does. I, 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 again, it's, it's this, there's, there's, there's always those, those, those unknowns and those intangibles that you, you can't account for. It, it could be that Bobby gets a knock or, or he knocks his missus up and pulls a hamstring doing it. Um, he's, he's, but for me, I, like, I guess we're in explicit category again. I don't, knocking up is, is it not explicit? Is it? Pulling a hamstring can be explicit by the way. <laughs> I've done it to the point where it is. Um, I, I think he'll. I think he'll go with 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 proven, tried, true, and, tre- uh, and tested. So you'll you'll probably see a lot of the same same old, same old in the starting lineup. And uh, I, look again, again, the intangibles are Diogo Jota. I, I think it's fair to say wasn't his like his early season self towards the end of the season. And that's not that's not a knock on him at all. It's just. He, I don't. He, he got that. He got that ding, and he and he didn't seem to come back the same. I'm wondering if that's oh, Salah. Yeah, yeah, and I, <laughs> and I think that might might have something to do with the fact that Luis Diaz showed up and hit the ground as hard as he did. And so, but yeah, uh, I, I think I think the future is bright. And again, it's 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 equal parts exhilarating and terrifying to think like that 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 that, that we lost. One of our, one of our, one of our, our, our keystone players, one of our linchpins in Sadio Mane, and now you have this this exciting youngster that you never know, you don't well, you don't know what you're going to get from him just yet. He could he could set the world on fire. He could pull a Peter Crouch and not score a goal for the first what five six games of his ten games of his career. But I don't think that's the case. But you just don't know. So you're on tender hooks, and I think the club will go with with what he knows to start the season and allow Nunez to take, because it's the preseason's what, at four weeks, essentially. It's not yeah. very long. No, no. And to, to get a, a sense of, and it's going to be a lot of chopping and changing. So I think that you'll probably see Nunez right before the world cup kicks off. I think you'll probably see him come in, come in and, 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 and start getting some starts. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and um, I didn't make the point about the midfield, but the, in the, in terms of the attack, obviously uh, Luis Diaz and Mo Salah, We'll have that month to take a breather, hopefully, and uh, come back refreshed for the second half of the season. Um, which the other guy? Well, I don't know about Carvalho. See, see, Portuguese. He's Portuguese. Portuguese. He's, he, but he's not in the Portuguese squad, right? A good first half of the season puts him there. Good first half of the yeah. season puts Bobby in the Brazil squad. Yeah, yeah. A lot well, of motivation I, for those guys to play well. Yeah. Well, we could talk about Tite selection, and maybe that's true, and maybe it's not. So. Um, but uh, but uh, Justin, thoughts about the attack, and uh, and again, I'm sure some of it's going to depend on actually how the preseason happens. Because if Nunez kind of no, I don't know scores a hat trick against United, and uh, you know, however this plays out, scores a lot of goals in preseason, there'll be a lot of pressure to pick him. I think. I mean, I uh, the one thing that's been driving me nuts all off season is how little uh, fanfare a player who scored 21 goals and assisted six more last season for us in uh, Diogo Jota is getting. He's a really good player. He's a fantastic finisher. Um, I think it's just the fact that his last goal in the season for the in the season came against city. Um, and, you know, there was a month left of the season to play. I think Daz is onto something where, you know, it's, it's a Luis Diaz, you know, 
driven concept. I think it's just basically we got Diaz in without a ton of coaching time to really kind of adapt him into the squad. I think an actually coached Diaz with a full offseason probably gels better, and that's going to create a lot more space and time for Jota or Nunez. And I think there's also going to be certain situations where we might see four forwards. You know, you, yeah. you might see Sala, Jota, Diaz, Nunez all on the pitch at the same time. I think I'm roughly aligned with what I think the opening day starting three is with Daz. Only thing is I just think that Judge is going to start over for me now. Um, and uh, I think that a lot of people need to uh, keep uh, some, some, you know, faith in, 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 uh, in Diogo because he's, uh, he's quite good. I, I, I don't disagree at all. I, I love Diogo Jota. Uh, but I think in terms of knitting things together, I think Bobby does a better job. Oh, no, he absolutely does. I, I, I think it's where I think it's whether or not that knitting things together comes from one of the forwards, or if we're going to change our play to have one of the midfielders do more of that link role. Especially if it's going to be a Harvey Elliott stepping into that role, he plays the right sided midfield role a lot different than Jordan Henderson does. He's going to want to be on the ball a lot more decisive and creative. Like Henderson, as a right sided midfielder, his job is create space for the other two to serve balls in. And if you get open cross, right, yeah. Elliot's also going to be one of those guys where if he gets the ball playing on the right side of that midfield, he's not going to do the role that way. He's going to look to create and make things happen there himself because it's a, he's a very different kind of player to Henderson within which you might negate some of the need for the nine to drop deep. And you actually can potentially just get someone who gets on the end of things and Jota gets on the end of things. Just yes. not against Wolves. Well, <laughs> well, and he did score. Against, well, yeah. anyway, yes, yeah. yes, he did score against Wolves. He just didn't score that chance, like the one where he managed to beat the goalie and hit the guy on the line. Um, yes, uh, I'm going to go to you next, Hytham. But my, I guess my my, my some so my thought process here is I, I think I, I agree. I think that Daz, you're absolutely right, and Firmino has knitted things together very well with the Salah Firmino Mane line, but it feels like we kind of need to transition to the next thing. And I, I am wondering now, all of Salah's goals last season, who were the players playing alongside him the most in the games where he scored? Um, but which, Because which, I'm suspecting that Firmino was playing in a lot of those games because uh, he didn't play a lot in the second half of the season. Um, he says confidently without the stats to back it up. Um I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that, that whatever, I think Diaz is going to be central to whatever we do. I think Salah, though, um, now that we know he's going to be around for a few more years, that's going to be a big part of figuring out how to continue to bring the best out of him, which the previous kind of lineup obviously was designed to do. So, um, Haytham, where, where, where are you on the sort of uh, front one, front three, front four? Because I do think Justin's right, we'll be playing a front four at some point. Uh, first of all, I just have a question, uh, uh, and and it's for a friend. Uh, can we get money back? Is it you know? Uh, <laughs> is it possible at this point? I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I think I, you know I agree with uh, both guys. I, I don't really have uh, um, uh, a lot to add to it, except for uh, so uh, I'm in the Justin's camp. Uh, I think Jota is actually going to start um, instead of Firmino. Um, again, you know, love Bobby, um, 
but I think with uh, Jota, um, I think just because of how his form was uh, towards the end of last season, I think he's actually going to have a, a, a better preseason, but that's just uh, my suspicion. Um, and then uh, I was wondering if, uh, what's his last name? Caden, um, the young kid. Oh, Katie Gordon. Gordon? Yeah. Gordon, yeah. I w- was wondering if he's going to have any playing t- time and be added to the mix, you know. Um, uh, but, yeah, I just, you know, agree with the guys. I think we just have too many options. And, and just like last season, you know, it's going to be like who, depending on who we're playing and, and what type of game it, it is. And then, you know, injuries and all of that stuff. Okay. So I think if you're listening, you clearly know how we're going to line up on day one. Um <laughs> Well, maybe, but but I I, I, I believe Stevie re- Highway will be on the wing. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, where am I going to go? Stop, stop it! Like I'll have some song in my head now. Um, so I think we'll, we'll, that's the end of part one. Uh, we'll do more expectations for the rest of the season uh, as we get closer. Uh, and next, we're going to look at um, kind of the preseason tour and where that takes us to. <laughs> for the first month of the season so we can touch on that as well because uh, that looks really unfriendly to a US audience with the plethora of 7.30 kickoffs on Monday afternoons um, so but let's, let's, let's start with uh, f- first things first um, I read that the team arrived in uh, Bangkok today um, and there were thousands of supporters uh, in attendance waiting to greet the team uh, at the the um, the first interview that uh, Klopp did, he questioned whether Manchester United had the same reception when they de- arrived a day earlier. It was not clear to me that anyone answered this question, but I did not see any reports of thousands of people greeting Manchester United when they arrived in Bangkok yesterday. Um, we play them in a, in like what I think twenty four hours on Tuesday. Seems it seems really weird uh, given they don't seem to have a team actually at this point. And then we play Palace um, at the weekend, and then we're off to Austria. Um, I mean, you could talk about playing United in a in the kind of first friendly of the season. But what I was taken back to, and maybe Justin, you, you, you choose where you want to go, was like recent Asian tours have not struck me as being the most successful experience ever. Maybe the hundred thousand people in Melbourne singing "You'll Never Walk Alone" aside, but we've definitely had players wanting to leave. Or before previous tours, this feels like a whole different era. Um, well, I think there's a, a, a market difference in uh, fans getting to see Mohamed Salah and Jordan Ibe. So, um, you know, <laughs> you can take that, diff- that difference in quality uh, however you'd like it. I mean, I, I, I watched the videos of it. These guys look like rock stars. Um, Klopp and Virgil and Mo all got tremendously rapturously loud applauses. Um, the one thing I do want, wonder about, and I think this might be kind of different than, you know, a U, what a U.S. tour would be like right now, is obviously COVID policy is very different between Asian countries and the U.S., um, you know, masking and kind of some form of distance at least remains there, which wouldn't be here. So I do wonder how close supporters will be able to get to the, um, to the, to the team. Um, I do know the club has some things planned because I know that a bunch of, uh, the you know 
Asian uh, supporters, Asian and Australian supporters clubs are sending people over there. So I think there's obviously going to, I think they really are trying to do a push to connect people to, uh, to the club. And I, I get it because it feels like a lot of recent FSG um, push with Liverpool has been very American, very Amerocentric. Um, I think they see, you know, the U S is a very fertile ground to, to plant a flag, but that support in Asia is huge. And there's a lot of money that the club can make there. So they're going to want to try to milk that for every single uh, piece of goodwill and the money that that brings with it. Um, I just, you know, these, these are tougher for me to care about, um, you know, from the perspective of I'm not huge into watching preseason games. because I don't think you learn a ton from them until you get really close to the season. Yeah. And they're going to be on at what, probably like nine in the morning for us. So I'm not going to, Unless I happen to be home on Tuesday morning, which I think I actually might, because I think I might be working from home, it might go on in the background. Yeah, hope, I hope your boss is not listening to this one. But I'm just saying, my boss is a Liverpool supporter. Oh, okay, he'll be, he'll be watching. <laughs> <laughs> he puts much more investments in preseason games. Okay. Um, so I, I get to you, Hytham. Um, um, happy to talk about playing whoever United put on the field. Uh, or Palace this weekend, um, but those those previous tours, um, like I think the last time they went to Asia, which may be part of why they hadn't gone back, was when Coutinho decided to uh, like kick up a fuss about wanting to leave. Um, like wow, um, with hindsight, do you think he'd have ever done that? But anyway, that's a different story. Um, and there were monsoons in Hong Kong, so I don't think they even got to play some all of the games that were scheduled. Yeah, who, who's Coutinho, by the way? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> Mid, midfielder for a uh, middling Premier League outfit. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the last time they played United in the preseason, I actually uh, was at the stadium, uh, the Big House in Michigan. Uh, and it was fantastic. You know, uh, spectators-wise, I think it was, I would say, maybe 60% Liverpool play, uh, fans and, and 40%. Um, uh, Man U fans and 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 uh, you know people were all over the place. It, it wasn't like there was a section for Liverpool fans versus Man United fans, and and there was like a family Man United family right in front of me, and it was it was it was very sweet to watch the four goals. Uh, I think it ended up being like four to one or something, and Shakiri had like a, a bicycle kick goal, but it was it was it was the most fun. Uh, watching that family just sulk all the time, <laughs> goal after goal. Um, so yeah, I or mean, ice you know, cold. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, foreshadowing, foreshadowing Bruno's arrival. <laughs> yeah, with the yeah. sulk. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I agree with Justin. You know, the, uh, the Liverpool is, is is big in Asia, in Asia, and and. Um, I'm just wondering, like, you know, Take's departure, how is that going to affect the fandom? Uh, one thing that I noticed is, you know, a lot of, uh, even, you know, people that don't really follow footy, they support teams because of the players, especially when it comes to, like, Asian players. Um, you know, I happen to have a couple of, uh, uh, happen to have met a couple of uh, uh, Korean-American doctors uh, recently, just the past few months. And they're both, big fans of guess who um, Spurs because of Sun 
and and they follow it to the max. Um, so just wondering, you know, how that's going to affect the fandom in that part of the world, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, obviously Japan and, and, and um, the other places. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is what it is. I'll, I'll, I think I'm, I'm going to watch the couple of games that are out there. Um, I'm not sure about Tuesday, uh, but definitely the Palace match. Yeah, it's really, really hard to ignore playing United under any circumstances, I think. Mm. So uh, I do have it blocked out in my calendar um, <laughs> to watch that one. Um, not least because I, I'm, I'm fascinated as to what the um, the, the Ten Hag era is going to gonna look like. Because, uh, I, I mean, anyway. let to sink faster than ETH. <laughs> did, did you guys see the, uh, the set of rules? Set of rules that has established, uh, you know, players cannot eat outside, you know, the cafeteria. They can't eat at home, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and I think Conte did the same type of stuff, actually, when he came into um, the Spurs, when he became the Spurs manager. But it just, it, it, it sounded so much. So that this feels is the- like, that feels like a really easy way to alienate these guys, right? Like, yeah. they're all adults. Like, I'm pretty sure Klopp doesn't sit there and be like, you can't eat at home. He's just like, they, the, the club probably works with, if, you know, when you're going to eat, here are the things you can. Yeah. So so I think there's a big, there's a couple of things going on. This is definitely part three stuff, by the way, but I think there's a couple of things going on. One is, I think... Chaos! Chaos. <laughs> yeah, well, there's chaos. I think one of the things is, there's something about their culture that's it's a little off, because, like, uh, like, Gerard Conte came into their teams what last season and started talking about you know things that they didn't allow in the cafeteria, things that they would allow in the cafeteria, and and clearly we have like a nutritionist like 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 she's called out as a big part of like helping the team, and I I think their culture has been one of I'm very entitled because I play for Manchester United and no one can tell me what to do because I'm you know I play for Manchester United, I think that's a big part of their problem. How old is this caviar? Take it away! Right, 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 right. right. I, I mean, I think it's it's just super, you're not dealing with kids in high school or in uh, a dormitory or whatever boarding school. You know, it's just like uh, these are grown men with families and, and they have kids. I, you know, you, you can't tell me I can't go home and eat dinner with my kids. I'm, I'm I sorry. don't know that that. In, yeah, I think there may be something about their sign. Let's talk about that later. Let's get back. <laughs> so, so clearly we'll play Man United on. On, on Tuesday, and I know Daz is going to watch because he he critiqued me last time for calling it a friendly. <laughs> no such thing, no such thing. Not against Manchester United, never. I was just I just want to go back to that. I give it Ted Hogg like getting approached by someone. I was like, listen, uh, Gaffer, uh, it's Dino Nugget Night at my house on Tuesdays, and like it's something my kids and I like have done for years. And, can I get some sort of special dispensation here? I'll, I'll hold off. I'll hold off on the tomato sauce. I'll, I'll use HP. Yeah, that is a bit ridiculous. But anyway, yeah. I, so the preseason is is it's a preseason. It's it's a reason to watch Liverpool again. I think that the for me the first one is the juiciest, followed probably by the Community Shield, simply because it is silverware. I know that it's it's faux-ish silverware. Not a trophy pet. It's not a trophy. Uh, it's but it's it's shiny. Not and a trophy not, unless we win it. Well, that's <laughs> that, that's true of all trophies, right? Specifically, well, the Community Shield, the FA Cup, and the Energy Drinks Trophy. Um, it's 
I'm, 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 I'm most intrigued by the fact that we play, was it Strasbourg the day after yeah. uh, the community shield? And I, that's, I think that's, that's like vintage clock, right? He's like, there's no rest for the wicked. And, and, and I guess that gives him a chance to, to roll out the guys that didn't get a lot of time in, 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 in the, the community, the community shield game. Yeah. Um, I think outside of that, I think Palace should be fun because I think that's how they'll approach it. Um, the Austria, the Austria leg of the trip too. Like I know that that they love a good trip to Austria, and we'll get all the 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 the, the great content with with James Milner and his helmet on, and no one else wearing helmets, um, riding the bikes. But uh, I, I guess it, it is, it's it's nice to see them out and about. And, and to Justin's point, I do hope that there is some sort of fan engagement because. Fans have been starved of that for so long, and I don't think that we, they should feel it, like the, the sense of entitlement that that we get to have it. But it, it's still nice to be able to be to be considered and 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 have some access because it does. Like it's that's what cements those relationships for for lifetimes, really. Yeah. Um, so it's I, I think I think it's 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 a nice way for them to 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 reach out and to be closer to the, to the international fans, and we could do a whole segment about what what international fandom actually means for, 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 for organizations, for, for, for top, for, for top tier sporting organizations, because they buy the jerseys, they, they buy the, 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 the premier league tickets on whatever outlet that they, that, that they're streaming on. Well, <laughs> you hope they do, but um, it's, it's, I think the preseason in general is a great way to do stuff like that. And, and I think Klopp straddles the line very well between both of them. I'm sure he's like, if you, if you ask him what his sentiment was about going to the Far East for, for a preseason tour, he'd probably, he'd probably say he'd rather bin it. But I think he strikes a good balance in, in acknowledging what it means for, for, for those millions of fans and that, that, that are closer to it and feel like they can reach out and touch that experience. But uh, I, I don't know. That's, I, I think I told you guys I've been football agnostic since we lost in the Champions League final. I don't think I've cracked open a channel that has football on it, period. And I'm, 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 I'm ready to be hurt again. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> I, I read a piece today. <clears throat> it might have been in The Athletic, but, and it might have been a James Pierce piece. Um, but it, it talked about what Klopp had changed about this Asian tour versus some of the others. And there's two two big things, and I think we saw this in the U.S. Actually, one big thing is that the players aren't. If you remember, like some of those tours where the players were out at Subway, they were out at different venues. Like the players who were supposed to do preseason were doing all the appearances. Like what they've now enlisted are like Jason McAteer, Robbie Fowler, Sammy Upia, um, Vladimir Smitzer to be doing like the, the appearances, um, so the team themselves can focus on like. Uh, like playing and practicing this tour is a week long um which i think is uh half the man united trip and we're playing two games and they're playing five in that period and someone was highlighting how if ten hogs trying to really put together a team this is far from ideal you know you're kind of away from home you're trying to bond you're playing all these like meaningless friendlies anyway so next to the business decision though yeah. because i think that uh, they're not a football club Right, right, corporation. Right, yeah, right. yeah, but 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 Klopp, Klopp, I think, has enabled it to feel a much better scenario for Liverpool to travel to Asia this time around than the previous two. I think that's the the gist of it. 
I am, uh, I'm thinking we're, uh, unless anyone has anything else to say about uh, next couple of weeks, because otherwise we're going to use our content up from when we like look back and preview and do all that stuff. We should probably leave it there. Oh, one final, no, one final thing. Um, quick thoughts about the, the, the timing of the games in the first month of the season. Uh, if you've had a chance to look at them. Oh, I believe we have. I mean, it's a, a 7.30 kickoff to start the season, which I get because they want Liverpool in one of the TV spots. Yeah. Um, I would have actually preferred to play the Friday night, but, you know, we're that's, not. That's reserved for Arsenal to lose to some nobody's. Really newly promoted team. I mean, on the bright side, we're playing a newly promoted team again. So, you know, a nice, easy start. I, that's like, that's bold and board material. That's how you get yourself in trouble. Um, but the, the moving the the moving the palace and the United games to Monday afternoons, yeah, brutal. I like I, I don't I don't know how I'm going to actually see the United game, short of faking illness. Okay, well we should probably move on just in case your boss is listening. Um, Python thoughts, because I, I I guess you have the advantage of those games being. Oh, are they earlier for you? They're earlier. They oh, are. my God. Yeah. It's even yeah. worse. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it doesn't really bother me because uh, I have uh, cats that start screaming at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, <laughs> wanting food, so I'm, I'm used to getting up early. Um, and yeah, it doesn't bother me, actually, moving matches around. It's fine. I tend to figure out how to find time to watch them. I, I'm just slightly upset that there's one Saturday game in the first what one two three four five six games um that you know actually most people would consider it okay to drink a pint of guinness um uh, while you're watching it uh, one out of six that just feels wrong um i think what, what uh, the united states of america what's considered proper in terms of the uh, as a soccer fan the the proper time to drink went out the went out the window years ago i think it's uh, just an excuse to, to drink whenever the hell you whenever the hell you want I, I just would prefer two of the six not being at 7.30 on a Saturday. My question is for people on the West Coast is like, if you're having a big Friday or a big Saturday night, you just roll it into the set of the half past four in the morning kickoff, either at your house or at a mate's house, or if a pub opens that early, like, or do you try and snatch like two hours of sleep and, and get up and, and, and thumb on the channel? So That's my question. Yeah. So I do know, so I don't know about all of the sports clubs on the West Coast, but I do know that uh, generally the pubs in San Francisco are open at 4.30 a.m. for those games. Um, that's, you know, that's commitment. It is. Yeah. That's a yeah, long I, day for Linger. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. You can do it. I, wa- I watched a season opener um, for the 1920 season. We, we opened against West Ham, I believe. I can't remember if it was 1920 or 1819. Um, but... We opened against West Ham, and it was eighteen nineteen. I was in a it was California five thirty kickoff. I watched it in my hotel room, like my, my wife slept. But at the same time, like I have a lot of respect for anybody who's actually going out to a bar at four thirty in the morning to watch a game. That's yeah. a love. That that that's commitment. I applaud it. Yeah. But, but I, so having watched a few games in Australia, those guys. Uh, get up so I, again i watched it on on my laptop um, but those guys get up and go out to the bar at whatever time some of those games are and they're like i don't know four in the morning 
um, is not atypical for like a midweek game. And the mid, the, some of the Saturday games start at like midnight. Yeah. So why are we complaining? Yes. Let's, let's close part two and let's get to Eric Ten Hag's destiny. Hey, welcome to part three of the show. Uh, in this one, we're going to do a roundup of what's happening elsewhere. So here's where we really dive into um, comings and goings from different teams and what state they might be in. We're going to touch on um, Heithmanai and the Women's Euros, which are well worth a watch if you uh, if you haven't. Um, probably some other content about uh, lawsuits in Switzerland that we're going to touch on, allegedly. Um, but let's start with... Uh, um, Clearly, um, some of our rivals have had a lot of going on um, in terms of outgoings, incomings. Um, and, and the broader question is, what have you been impressed by? But maybe, Dustin, you're gonna, uh, Justin, you're going to start with what looks less than impressive right now. We are about a month away from Eric Ten Hag and Harry Maguire falling out over Maguire eating, like, a packet of crisps at home. And it's going to be great. I mean, it's really like it's really tough to be a stern disciplinarian, and when you're trying to build a team, when you have that side United, where player power has been so strong, and even if you exercise, even if you um, you know exorcise the demon that you know kills the Red Devils at the moment, a a forward who doesn't press, who might end up at Chelsea. there's still so many problems there. Like, and, and Ten Hag's approach seems to be what people thought we would do with Klopp, which is just raid you know, his former team, which we actually haven't done because I don't think we've actually completed a transfer with Borussia Dortmund since Klopp left. Not till now. Not until hopefully now. But um, it turns out that like, he's just going and getting Ajax players. That's, that, that's not going to work. That team worked for you in a league that is significantly worse. So yeah. good to see that they haven't fixed their scouting department. The player power there is going to run the manager over once they start hitting any sort of bad streak. And they haven't fixed a single one of the structural problems they have. So um, he's going to sink. He's going to sink rapidly. And it's going to be kind of fun to watch. I mean, I could be completely wrong about this, but it just doesn't look good. Oh, um, doesn't look good. Uh, I think that understates it, right? Um, it, it, it's kind of funny how people were saying uh, when they signed uh, Ronaldo last year, it's like, we don't need another striker. And now it's like, he wants to go. And it's like, they need, we need a striker. We haven't got a striker. It's like, they don't. Their forward line could be perfectly fine. They need a defensive midfielder. They yeah. probably need two center, two new center backs. They need an entirely new set of fullbacks. They address at least their left back position. Um, I know that, you know, Sean and I disagree on Luke Shaw's quality. Um, I don't think he's good, but uh, there's uh, there's just so much wrong there. Like Aaron Juan Basaka is a championship player. You haven't moved on from him yet. They have managed. They have players who have been there now under. Think about this. Matt players who were there who arrived under Ferguson, who arrived under Moyes, who arrived under Van Hal, who arrived under Mourinho, who arrived under Ole, and now under Ten Hag. He's a, he's going to have a team that has players brought in from that set of regimes. Yeah, 
you have to turn that over. You have to get to a point with a, with, with a manager at some point where he's been able to get rid of the dead wood that he doesn't want from previous regimes. And um, I hope it never happens for them. Yeah, no. In I, fairness, I think it's it's not so much the fact that Harry Maguire is eating chips or eating crisps. I think it's the volume. He probably has like those bumper <laughs> Costco packs that he's just just necking. I, I don't know. I think he's just physically incapable of turning around that fast. I think that's just. Uh, but um, a, a couple of things I do want to pick up on. Um, w- one of them is definitely um, the left back and, and Sean. So so I, I, Sean's observation. Uh, hi Sean, if you're listening, um, about Shaw and Telus being useless. It's like, you know, however good you think they are, changing out your left back is not your issue, right? It's like you'll probably get by with one of those people if you could had a better central midfielder. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it just feels like the things they don't that know how to prioritize. Right, 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 right. We just need Dutch people or people. It's, it's interesting. Dutch people. But it's interesting to see how how the how the hierarchy has changed. We are Manchester United. We get top tier players. We have the best players in the world, and it's slowly moving down the ranks to well, he'll do. He's kind of good. Like it's it's and it's been like what five or six years in the making, but it's it which is somewhat precipitous for a club that has that amount of cachet and quote unquote spending power that. The, their expectations of, of slowly but surely started slipping down the rankings like Paris Hilton's underwear. Yeah, I think, I think the now biggest, it's explicit. <laughs> I think the biggest indicator of where they are is the whole uh, De Jong saga. I mean, De Jong, Barcelona is selling him to uh, take a pay cut if he wanted to stay. And he still doesn't want to go. He could be making more than what he's making right now. He still doesn't want to go to United. I understand he's saying it's the um, uh, the Champions League. Um, you know, he's, he wants to play there and all of that stuff. But, I mean, his, his previous manager, whom he played very well under at Ajax, uh, way better than what he did at Barcelona. Um, and he still just doesn't want anything to do with United. That tells me a whole lot more. Um, you know, about the state of uh, uh, United at this point. Definitely, definitely been a couple of stories about this, but I think one of the bigger ones that I read like the last couple of days was the, the issue actually is the fact that he deferred 17 million euros in payments and Barca is saying, we'll give you 3 million if you leave. <laughs> um. I, you know, Barcelona are a whole story in themselves, and we could get lost in that in the next segment. But um, no need. rounding no. out, rounding out, uh, it, it does feel like if you were, I mean, it feels like they're worse off than we were, right? Um, like 10 years ago, in terms of the decision making. Am I right? Or are they just as bad? And, and FSG came in, and it all was different. It took them a while to get it right too. It wasn't like it was. Think about what their first big purchase was yeah. was Andy Carroll. Yeah. So it's. Uh, they bought Luis Suarez two days before they bought Andy Carroll. They, they did, but I, I think Andy Carroll was the big money signing, wasn't he? I think he came for for a significant whack of lolly that, and I think everyone else is kind of tittering behind their hand, like that guy. Yeah. English. But, uh, it's it's the thing is like ours has been a journey, and it hasn't always 
the, the signposts haven't always been, been positive or good. We've made missteps, but by and large, I think in the, in the main, we've, we've gotten almost, well, we've got a large majority of it right. And I, I think that a lot of clubs are, are working under the, uh, the bigger clubs are working under the, the auspice that they can continue to do things the way that they always have. And it's just not the world we live in anymore. Pandemic, business, you know, it's people's expectations. They've, they've all changed somewhat precipitously over the last couple of years. And uh, you have to be facile and, 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 and motile and, and, and bendy at this point. Like uh, you have to be able to roll with, with the punches and expect that you're going to get punched in the face and, and have a plan for when you do get punched in the face, which I think we have done pretty well. And I think Manchester United and Barcelona are just taking blow after blow and they, they just, they don't have a defense for it because they, they're not, they're not quick enough on the, on the, on the uptake or the change. Yeah. It, it almost feels to me and, and picking up on Justin's point about United being like run like a business more than uh, a, want to be a successful football team. Um, I, I do think that if these things were priorities about like actually creating like one of the best teams they possibly could, um, rather than putting band-aids on like problems that they've got, figuring out that, you know, oh, that's the answer. Um, I think they'd be in a better position. I think actually Barcelona's if, issue is, is actually the opposite. Uh, it's that they aren't operating like a business. They're operating, like, operating like a group of people who are like, how do we, how do we end up being more successful or, or, or staying at the same success level? And equally the decision-making is awful. But it, but it almost feels like it comes from a different place. It feels like if you ask the Glazers, you know, if you don't win the Premier League in the next 10 years and you're able to sustain your income, it's like, yeah, probably sounds good enough. Whereas Barcelona, it's like, what, we're not going to win La Liga? We need to spend more money, you know, would be... I'm going to give uh, you an analogy for Barcelona. They it. are the person who is getting a cash transfer at a casino at three in the morning after they've blown their life savings. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, and they're going to bet on green. Yeah. They're, they're cash transfer to bet all of it on one number in roulette. Yes, yes. I'd, I'd love to, and you, I think you highlighted this, Daz. Um, the, 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 if, if you're going to sign Lewandowski, said Bayern Munich, we need all the money up front because we're not sure you're going to be around <laughs> to pay it in installments. In two years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest commercial entities in world sport, and they basically just sold half of their merchandising rights in perpetuity. Yeah. What are you doing? So um, I, I read some Barcelona apologists, probably fans, who were like, it wasn't that much. That's not a big part of our revenue. Um, but, I mean, they were, they were slicing and dicing their TV revenue, right, and the commercial. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, who, I mean, uh, Apart from Manchester United, uh, everyone else doing business with them obviously realizes they have the upper hand. Um, it's kind of strange. Well, also, it's, it's Barcelona. Like it doesn't take much to, to to fall from grace, which we would I think that we can we can attest to in watching Manchester United and maybe potentially Chelsea this year. It doesn't really take much to to, to slip. And the, the moves that Real Madrid have made and are making are are wise and well, they have, they have the, the, the cash and the ability to be able to go for those types of players, but they're turning it into a one team, a one team league. And it's, I think for Barcelona's continued success, they're going to have to start winning something. 
to prove that they still that they're still relevant. And I just don't see them winning La Liga at least in the next two to three years. Look, stranger things have happened, but I, I think given given what the evidence that's at hand, I think it's it's a somewhat safe non putting it all on green bet to say that uh, that that they're going to struggle. That they were, that uh, they're, they're not going to be they won't win La Liga for the next the next two to three years. So, so I'm guessing, from Hayden's perspective, then even if they win La Liga, they're not going to be relevant on a European stage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for for our listeners, he is. Uh, That's what I live for. Agreeing with me. <laughs> yes. Um, enough about La Liga. Yeah, so um, I, I mean, I guess where we leave it is. Um, I think summary is Barcelona are the most dysfunctional club, big club that we can think of. Uh, United are not far behind them, but probably not quite as uh, um, desperate. I don't know if there's anyone else who's in this conversation. Um, a couple of other teams have made some good acquisitions, and maybe we'll touch on those in uh, in subsequent episodes. Before we don't, did want to quickly touch on the Wounds Euros. Um, I know Haytham uh, and I have been watching them. I, I and what like. I thought there were some fantastic performances. I thought the Holland-Sweden game was as good an international match because I really don't enjoy men's internationals that much as I have seen. Uh, but then um, France today, uh, Spain and Germany all looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Even Norway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, they did. They did. Yeah. Um, this might not bode well for England. Um, we've listened did, to a pod, pod, did just, Norway did, take on the perennial giants of Northern Ireland. They did, <laughs> they did, yeah. But but Northern Ireland had um, Louise Furness, uh, Liverpool striker, um, or oh, number ten. Yeah, I Washington. think she's the only she's the only Liverpool player in the tournament, if I remember. Oh, uh, so I think we've signed a Finnish uh, defender called Emma Koivisto. Um, okay. Uh, That's because... not very nice. She could. She hasn't even started yet. How do you know she's finished? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was watching the Finland game, and the, and someone commented, "said the Liverpool player." I'm like, "What? What?" <laughs> I know that. And then shortly afterwards, I saw the announcement about Emma Koivisto joining from. I think she came from Brighton. Uh, could be wrong about that. I so. think Daz was also trying to um, counteract his earlier explicitness by telling a dad joke. <laughs> yes, give us, yes, take us away. Uh, yeah, that's my my. Well, it's all our jobs, right? Um, yeah. go, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say. Uh, jokes so, now. Uh, speaking of Fernandez, uh, she actually had the assist for the one goal they scored. I think she the did. first goal that they've ever scored uh, in yep. in the Euros, and, and I don't think it was an assist. I think it was a shot. But hey. Yeah, I, no, it was definitely an assist. Come on, come on. <laughs> it was a shot. It was a shot. But yeah, I mean, wonderful matches. Uh, you know, uh, these ladies are just so skilled. It's it's a it's actually a pleasure to watch them. Uh, and 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 you know, I I enjoy women's football um, a whole lot. I follow the U.S. team. Shout out to Megan Rapinoe who just um, you know got awarded a medal of uh, freedom, I think, or uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just it's it's wonderful to watch, um, and, and these players are so skilled. Um, I think I mentioned I follow Cascarino uh, on the uh, French team. She's one of my favorite players. She's so no, fast. No relation so to Tony. No, no, no. 
Um, More dad jokes. <laughs> Actually, I think she pointed out that she was no relation to Tony on oh, right. social media, yeah. by the way. Even better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just wonderful matches. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously, I'm not rooting for England. I, I don't. I want them to uh, fail. Uh, although they have a, you know, I think they have a good team. I don't know what happened that first match. Um, if it's the pressure, um, and the, I don't know what it is. I, I think they have a good team, but yeah. I'm still not rooting for them. So, Haitham, I know that you might not appreciate, but their XG in that game is 2.5, uh, even though they only scored one goal. So, hi, Sean. One, one, one. Well, actually. Um, I was listening to a podcast about the uh, women's Euros with my son and uh, the podcaster who's English said, you know, well, you know, why, why can't England win this tournament? And his answer was because they're England. <laughs> so, he's, he's 15. So um, you know, he's absorbed. Because it's, ne- it's never going to come home. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Singing it's coming home in the group stages is never a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> And, but apparently that's not a learned lesson. But I think we should probably finish with like one thing from the um, from the week, and it, it could involve you know international crimes and misdemeanors, uh, if that's where you want to go. Um, I, I one thing I did want to talk about the refereeing, um, but but um, uh, we don't employ a, a lawyer yet, um, so I'd caution you if uh, how are you going to frame frame this. Um, yeah, so I'll go to you first, uh, Daz, because I know you're screaming to talk about the women's Euros. I know you know. Go ahead. Like I said, I, I'd, I'd been completely football agnostic. Um, soccer agnostic, sorry for our American friends. Uh, I, don't, I don't think nothing really comes to mind except maybe that recent, it was as of yesterday, I believe that the two biggest criminal masterminds in European and allegedly football uh, hashtag allegedly have been cleared of any alleged wrongdoing. Um, and with that, I'm going to do an alley-oop for my man, Justin. Switzerland, the jurisdiction within which Platini and Sepp Blatter were tried is nothing more than an elaborate Tax of the tax law, um, evasion and money laundering ring. Okay. <laughs> wow. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> no, I mean, how how is how do you have a two million dollar facilitation payment and have that be above board? I don't understand it. Uh, there's there's no world where that makes sense. So apparently, I forgot is a defense. Then is that the? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money, and I have trouble believing that it was given in in uh, good faith in accordance with uh, anything resembling what you'd call a law. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, allegedly. Yeah, I, I think I think the fact is completely irrelevant that the fact was it was timed with uh, Blatter looking for votes. Um, right. That that cannot play a part in that money. I, I really wonder if Chuck Blazer's cats were allowed to testify. <laughs> they had a really nice apartment, probably nice in the apartment I live in. Uh, so, so that's uh, yeah. Um, we should we should send a link out to uh, explain if people aren't familiar with the Chuck Blazer story um, about that reference. 
but it's very fact, my dad my dad went to high school with them and they knew each other <laughs> really Chuck okay. Blazers from Forest Hills Queens wow wow yeah yeah so he was he was um found guilty right so He's, I mean, he, that's the straw that brought this all yeah, to yeah, court yeah. to begin with. Like, the FBI took down FIFA through Chuck Blazer's uh, money laundering. The cats. It must have been the cats. Who gets an apartment for their cats? Like, Someone has lots of money coming from somewhere, right? If, you, if you're doing illegal activity, don't do something dumb enough to get you caught like that. Seth Blatter, cat lover. Yeah. <laughs> He's not that foolish. Anyway, Tytham. No, oh, I was just going uh, to, I was cats. saying, I'm a cat lover. Yeah. I love cats. Would you get your cats a $10,000 a month apartment in New York City? Um, yeah, I would if I had the money. Just getting money from FIFA. Maybe. I was living in it. <laughs> I'm just saying, do you think that that's a really good way to conceal a crime? No, no. That just says, arrest me now. No, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, similar stuff happens all the time. Politics and, and people get away with it. So I, I wasn't surprised, to be honest. They were comfort cats. They have special needs. <laughs> so I feel like we're descending a bit. Um, we should probably wrap up part three and, uh, and, and, and kind of talk us out. Um, anything else before we're done? Can you, can you descend below the bottom? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> You and I definitely can. You know, I, what, what I would say is, uh, you know, I, I thought the chemistry was great. And I felt like, um, you know, there was even a word for height and height to get it edgeways. So that's really good. <laughs> so thank you. Oh. I believe we just got called out. Okay. We did. Okay. Uh, uh, was I wrong? No. Uh, no. One thing we haven't mentioned, actually, is Daz's shirt, his retro 90s uh, Liverpool shirt. Um Looks pretty cool. It is. It, that's from the 90s, right? Or is that a later one? Um, well, it's the Reebok. When did, when did we get Oh, that's Reebok? probably a early 2000s yeah, one. Yeah, it's early yeah. 2000s, yeah. yeah. Oh, original, yeah. It is. I haven't worn this thing in probably 15 years. Okay. Make it 16. Well, it looks like it fits very well. So it's either one of the really baggy ones they had, or you, you know, you're living a very healthy lifestyle. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's talk it out here. We'll be back next week after Liverpool have played their first two preseason games. Thanks so much to Hytham, to Daz, and to Justin. It was so good to see you all. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. You can follow us at, at First Day Copites on Twitter. We only tweet and retweet from sources we think are credible. Music is courtesy of Hypnotic. They're an electro-pop Welsh band. And you can find them at hyperfollow.com forward slash hypnotic, H-Y-P-E-N-O-T-I-C.